night to School Psych Podcast. Uh, my name is Rachel. I am a school psychologist in Maryland. We are excited, as always, for a returning guest, and we always have such a fun time uh, speaking with him and are so tickled that he agrees to come back and talk with us um, now uh, for, I want to say, a third or fourth time, maybe. So we're, we're so honored for that. And um, anytime we have these conversations, I think that there's all these this inspiration that comes out. Um, so I'm just really excited uh, to, to kick off the week and, and do that. But um, I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca. Rebecca's going to tell everybody about how to participate tonight. Rebecca. Hello and welcome, everybody. We are so happy that you're here, whether you're here live with us or whether you're tuning in later during your week, during your commute or during some downtime that you have. If you are watching us live, please log in to your YouTube account and comment right alongside the video. You'll be able to ask questions that stay in time with the video and uh, we can answer you there. If you'd like to send a more private message, you can always message us on either of the two Facebook pages, School Psych Podcast page or School Psych to Your School Psychologist on Facebook in messages or right under the post for the podcast is fine. I'll be looking for notifications and also on Twitter using the hashtag Psyched Podcast. We look forward to hearing your questions, comments, experiences, anything you have to share. It's been such a tricky time for school psychologists and we are just really grateful to be so connected with you all and in conversation and we're really excited for this conversation tonight so I'm going to hand it off to Eric who is going to introduce our wonderful returning guest. Thanks Rebecca. Um, my name is Eric and I'm a school psychologist also in the state of Connecticut and we are excited to have Dr. Byron McClure back with us if you have listened to any of his previous podcasts, you know um, the the warmth, energy, and level of um, encouragement, and um, he just seems to sort of raise the bar. He brings uh, all of that to these discussions and, and the podcast, and so we're thrilled to have him back. And uh, a lot has happened, so uh, we'll kind of let Dr. McClure talk about that, um, but he's started some new ventures and adventures. Um and uh, I think last time we talked to you, you had the new baby as well, Dr. McClure. So that's exciting, too, for you and your family. Um, but uh, you have a new podcast as well called Healing Centered Conversations and a new book that you're beginning to work on, I believe. So um, welcome and, and uh, tell us how things are going. And, and we'll start off talking about some of these new things that you're doing. Yes, yes. Rachel, Rebecca, Eric. Uh, School Psych Podcast listeners, thank you for allowing me to be back. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You all could have brought anyone back. You could have had this conversation with anyone, but you all decided to have it with me. And for that, I am grateful. And you're right. A lot has uh, changed, has come into the picture. Uh, for starters, I have a newborn son uh, for some of you might recognize him, uh, a.k.a. my intern. He's joined me on uh, several speaking engagements that I've had, several meetings uh, that I've had, uh, and he's just an absolute joy. He's He's been a pleasure uh, thus far. Uh, this is uh, our, our third child, so number three, um, and he's a, a beautiful, healthy boy. Um, I think he's downstairs uh, getting a bottle right now. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot has changed. Um, you know, things are, are good. 
And so I, I love to share a little bit about some of the things that that I have going on. Um, where would you like me to get started with the, the podcast or the book? Um, how about the podcast? I just love uh, a couple of things, I guess. You you left your position with DC Public Schools and are sort of full-time with your Lessons for SEL and podcast. And um, so, yeah, let's let's talk about the Healing Centered Conversations. Absolutely. And and that's that's right. I, I left D.C. public schools this past July. Um, that allowed me to do lessons for SEL full time. Uh, more information will be coming out that, out on that soon. Um, in the meantime, one of the things that I recognize since I've been working uh, out on, on my own with lessons for SEL, um, I've been fortunate to speak with educators school leaders, psychologists, counselors, principals, teachers, uh, educators across the country. And like many of us, we know that this has been a tough year. It's been trying on so many people uh, across all aspects of all, across so many different positions within education. <clears throat> and one of the things that really stood out to me is that the things that needed to be said <clears throat> were being said, but the people who needed to hear them either were ignoring it or weren't hearing the messages. And uh, there are so many solutions to so many problems that we have, um, but the message seems to never reach the right people um, for whatever reason. And so part of that, what I found is we're not having the right conversations with people. One, and two, there's so much harm that has been done across our nation, politically, economically, racially, like you name it, there's unresolved harm. And in my day-to-day -day practice, especially as a school psychologist, when I was redesigning a high school, I focused on healing-centered practices. And so I just had a thought, what if the nation could heal through conversations? And so I said, what way can I contribute to this? And I was like, I could create a podcast. And it's funny, I was joking that as we were on earlier that, you know, I, I've never been thrilled about doing podcasts, but <laughs> I can see the, the power that it has. It, it gives you a platform. And so I wanted to create a platform to where I can bring people together and promote collective healing. Um, with everything that's going on and giving people a space, the opportunity to have conversations that's a safe space for tough conversations, for conversations that need to happen, for conversations that prioritize and center healing. I wanted to create that. And that's what I did. And I released it um, from the time this episode goes out where it's live now. Um, what is it? January 16th. It's been about a month and a half, two months, two months since I've launched. And it's been amazing. We're up to episode 12 so far. Um, so we're, we're still relatively new, um, but I've recorded 22 episodes. Um, and so just having just amazing conversations with people, with educators, with entrepreneurs, with school leaders, with breast surgeons, with I just try to tap into so many different people so that we can have a space where we can prioritize these healing sense of conversations. And, and it's been, it's been fun so far. 
I love that. And um, really, you know, we typically are focusing on school psych issues, but I think um, for you, it sounds like you're hitting on some broader issues that are impacting just us across society. Um, so I, I think that's neat that uh, you're not just sticking to the educational realm or, or school psychology. Um, how is that going so far? What kind of feedback and, and response have you gotten? It's been well received so far, Eric, to be honest. I think tapping into, you know, so many voices that reflect different people and it's diverse uh, training of, of thought. And, you know, my very first episode, I brought in my twin brother and we are polar opposites. Um, I, I love my twin dearly, but he's much more reserved and introverted and he's more uh, deliberate in what he says and his approaches. And I'm much more impulsive where like, hey, I want to create a podcast. I would think of it and it's out in a weekend. <laughs> My brother is much more thoughtful. Like I literally had to force him to hop onto the podcast, but he's a brilliant thinker. And because of that, uh, we had a really good conversation and he is the uh, DC council's uh, first uh, racial equity director. And he really focuses on policy and practice and writing bills. And to where I can fight for, you know, uh, fair discipline practices, he can write a bill and have it changed like that. And I'm like, dude, I've been fighting for this for like a decade <laughs> and he'll come and, you know, write a policy and, and change it. And so it, it was really uh, eye-opening to see how, you know, his political world intersects with the education space. Um, I brought in, um, like I said, a, a breast surgeon. Um, but interestingly, her perspectives um, were pivotal because it was shaped from, especially at the higher education level and growing up in Detroit and things that she learned. So all roads lead back to education. And so the podcast brings in all these amazing people who can really share their perspective um, on things uh, from a, a, a unique slant, which is really, really cool. Um, I'm bringing in uh, a number <clears throat> of healers. Uh, so I have some exciting conversations that, that will be, be dropping really soon. Uh, people should, should look forward to I'm, I'm bringing in, I'll be releasing a conversation depending on when, when you hear this, it's going to be uh, an episode with uh, Sheldon Akins. If, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Sheldon Akins, he has the Leading Equity podcast and he has a, a really large platform. Um, and so we're going to really talk about how um, the education field and uh, really people in general have been impacted by things such as CRT and you know, equity, because a lot has happened and equity and social emotional learning, given my work, has been targeted. And so we just had a really honest conversation as two black men of how our work has been impacted and, and what that means to, to him who was in education and left out and is doing his own thing. And to me, who just stepped out of the public education system, uh, working, you know, full time. Um, and to have people targeting our work like that 
is a lot <laughs> where people are literally attacking your, your livelihood. But I bring these people in. We're having conversations that whew, that are, are are healing just on another level. And it's it's therapeutic in, in a lot of sense. So it's it's been well received so far. Um, what's mind blowing to me, and you all can relate having your, your podcast, but the amount of people who say, hey, I listened to this episode and it really helped me, or I listened to what that person had to say and I was struggling, but hearing it, it really encouraged me. That's powerful and, and something that I didn't even know would, would be rewarding for me in this space. So it's, it's been well received and I'm excited to keep growing with it. That's so awesome. And I, I wanted to say, I li- I'm a little behind. I think I've listened to the first five so far, but when you talk about that episode with your brother, it really felt like a view into your origin story, how, how and why you became a school psychologist. And for me, um, as I was listening in to your experiences in high school and, and, you know, impactful educators that that really turned the course of of what you were doing and and what you were thinking about for your future that was felt very healing to me because it reminded me of my why you know why I became a school psychologist so I highly recommend that episode and and then another one that I really enjoyed was a conversation with I think a principal who um, just had this passion for what he does and what he what he you know what he was sharing and I think for me those were the healing moments to remember through the stories of others why I get up and go to work every day because it has been a really really tricky year and so for me that that in itself that element was very healing but what do you think of as the elements of these maybe besides that or in addition to that what are the elements of healing-centered conversation? Yeah, that's a such an excellent question. And I actually, before I launched the, the podcast, I had to write it out so that I had a, a set understanding of what these practices meant to me. And when I think of healing-centered practices, I think of people. It's it's that simple. I think of people, the need to put people first. And for whatever reason, as a a nation, as a country, as a school system, for whatever reason, we've got so, so far removed from understanding and dealing with the humanity of one another. And so when I talk about healing-centered practices, and the need for conversations that heal and to create a safe space, I'm thinking, how can we see the humanity in one another? How can we be disagreeable without being contentious and downright nasty and degrading and demeaning? How can we share ideas that might be great, that might not be great? but we know that it's going to ultimately move us forward together because we might all be in a situation that's less than ideal. And how can we help one another to get out of whatever that predicament is? Like we've been in a pandemic 
for how many years at this point? For for my newborn son, that's all he knows. He knows a world that's been in a pandemic. And so how can we as people see the humanity in our neighbors, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, what party you claim, whatever issue it is, how can we start to see the humanity in one another? And so these practices help us to see each other as people. These practices lead with empathy and understanding and compassion for the next person. And these practices, everyone knows, I can't talk about any practice without it being strength-based. Like it, We have to focus on the strengths of people and the strengths that we collectively have with one another. And it's inevitable that through this, I'm incorporating a form of storytelling. And how can we understand the humanity in one another by listening to the stories of each other and things that you had to go through and things I had to go through. And we do that so that we can make connection, so that we can build a deeper level of empathy and connection, and so that we can co-create and co-design solutions together and move forward. And so when when I talk about healing center practices, that's that's really what, what I'm talking about at the core. And these are conversations that focus on all of those elements. Um, how can we have conversations to where you know we don't dis- where we don't agree on something or where I've been hurt by something and we can come together in the midst of it all and still talk through it because at the core like I love you like you're my brother, you're my sister, you're you know someone who who I don't have to make an enemy out of and like we can find a way, collectively to together. And a good, a real example of that is in the first few episodes that I put out. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just going along and being impulsive, like I said, and put the podcast out. And the first few episodes, it was men, black men, and it was a white woman and people who I care for, like reached out to me. It was like, yo, you neglecting us. Like you're not putting in black women. Like, you know, our voices have been, you know, silenced and not uh, put forth so often. And whether I agree with it or not, like you're contributing to our voices being silenced. And, you know, I had to take a step back and say, I'm creating this platform so that we can move forward and have healing spaces. And so in me creating this platform, I was able to heal some things that were going on within the field of school psychology that I had to recognize I unwillingly might be contributing to. And even doing that, I was able to bring a number of different people on my platform. I was able to have some conversations. Um, I was able to really elevate uh, Black women and the contribution of Black women um, during one of my, my first talks of the year, uh, last week, when, what, it's the middle of January, it feels like <laughs> it's flying by. Um, but when I spoke to New York and just highlighting the contributions of Black women in the name of healing, and that's really what, what it's about. And so, you know, this platform has been meaningful on, on so many levels. 
Um, but at the core, like that's what we have to do in this healing center space. And, and from that, like we repair whatever harm might have been caused. There's accountability that's been put in place. And now we can move forward collectively, still in a place of love and growth and healing. And that's just a, a small scenario. But imagine if we can do that on so many different levels. And, you know, I, I've seen it in my work and some some tough places where, where I've worked. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of it, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's in a school, whether it's in, in my personal life. Let's have these healing sense of conversations and, and move the world forward. That, I mean, I think what you're doing is sounds... It's so amazing. And it, I think that you're modeling too how to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable, that even, you know, you can can be introspective and, and take a step back and look and reevaluate things. I think that sometimes as school psychologists, you know, I have participated um, in a lot of kind of equity PDs and whatnot through my department. And so we get a whole bunch of school psychs together. And I, I feel like sometimes we talk about, well, these other people need to change this and they need to do this. And because we're school psychologists and we understand equity and we understand how these, instead of kind of looking more inward and saying like, what am I doing? Cause we're all contributing, <laughs> you know, to these things. And, and really, so I like that you're kind of modeling that for people and showing you that, that everybody has this role to play and we all need to do better. Absolutely. And that can be hard. That can be challenging. It can be uncomfortable and some people might not want to do it because it's easier to ignore it and, you know, just move forward and be like, Oh, well, everyone else needs to heal or everyone else needs to reflect and acknowledge that. And, you know, I'm I'm open enough to know, like, OK, I can get better here. Great. Let, let me get better. <laughs> Call me out because that's the only way, you know, I'll grow and get better in anything that I do. And I preach that for everyone else. I would be a hypocrite if I didn't believe it in, in myself. And I'm I'm fortunate to know that I have people who believe in the work that I'm doing, who feel that they can reach out to me and share things with me, um, you know, because that that could have been, you know, some some tough conversations. But people were like, hey, like we we care deeply about you and the work that you're doing, you know, that we want to share some things with you from a place of love. And I think if, if your heart is right, like you, you, you have to be receptive to that um, because there, there are moments where, you know, we, if you're not reflective or introspective, it can lead to your demise as well. And, you know, just speaking broadly on the field of school psychology, I feel like at times, like we have been ignorant to change and really fixated as a field on and being stuck on certain roles. And we're, we're having a, a tough time evolving because of that. And so we, we have to be receptive and, and open to correction, to reflecting and being able to grow and evolve. You know, that really, it speaks volumes to your own level of humility too, that you were receptive to what someone else said, you didn't take it defensively and you we're willing to look introspectively and say, oh, yeah, you know, how can I grow through this? That's that's amazing. And not everybody does that. So um, kudos to you. And and I think, you know, just probably reflects really highly 
um, to the work that you're doing and integrity that you have. So um, the real purpose is to elevate people, right? And and you're you're focusing on that. And and I think that um, the same for our field, right? If we can come into um, sort of the evolution of the field, the evolution of who we are as school psychologists with some humility and um, acceptance and what the education system needs, hopefully we'll, we'll evolve as school psychologists as well um, as the field's needs evolve. Absolutely. Totally agree. You know, I, I love, um, th there's a, a quote by Dr. King and this being the eve of, of our uh, sort of national reflection on his contribution and, and the amazing work that he, he did for our society. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, those who are engaged in the nonviolent struggle aren't the creators of the tension, uh, but are merely bringing to the surface um, the hidden tension that's already there. When we bring it in the open, um, it can be seen and dealt with. And um, I know, you know, underlying so much of the work that we do is the need to address racial tension and um, inequity in our systems and um, in our society. And uh, and so I, I just that quote stands out to me in terms of uh, thinking about the work that you're doing, because the next step, the actionable step sounds like healing centered work. Right. Uh, that tension is there. Um, it's been bubbling under the surface for a while and um, overflowing <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, now that sort of as a nation, we've seen uh, George Floyd and so many instances, you know, sort of hit us in the face. Um, uh, my wife's family would say, well, you know, black folks know about this stuff, right? Um, but but the rest of us are sort of seeing it um, on national television and news clips and things. Um, and so I, I guess my for me as a, you know, a Caucasian man, you know, what are my actionable steps? How can I take that tension? And so I think you're leading a great example um, for how do we how do we start healing and and work on that that process because this stuff is here it's with us yeah and I I mean I, I think that's a, a excellent point to bring up and even in in my work for the podcast I really reflect on how black people have been asked to do so much and carry the burden within the field specifically of school psychology. And specifically, I'm looking at the work of, of Dr. Proctor and how much work she's done and other researchers like Dr. Blake and, you know, just so many people who have been doing this, this work for so long. And the field is saying, hey, like, we need you to keep doing this work. And if you're not gonna you know promote it then you know well you know it's great if we bring social justice here or you know we've gone years without it so hey <laughs> we'll be okay either way but if you and your folks want to do it then hey great and you know that's kind of how it's been but you know we see the need and so we've been fighting for these issues for so long and 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 me researching and planning for the podcast, like these people have been fighting and carrying this weight for so long. And especially when, when you're talking about social justice, like I, I was fortunate to be on 
we did a, a recording for a podcast with um, Dr. M- Miranda uh, from Ohio State uh, University. And, you know, she's been doing this work for so long and she's just a powerhouse in this space. And, you know, this this stuff can take a toll on you. And it's not up to us to create a space of healing so that other people feel comfortable. Like, no, like that's not our responsibility. Like it should be. Anyways, I don't want to go too deep and dark, but I, I want to acknowledge the work of people who have been carrying the, the mantle for, for so long and who feel this heavy burden, which is why I feel honored and privileged to help lighten the load uh, of those who, who have come before me and really continue keeping uh, keep pushing this work forward. It's, it's important to me. And I'm, I'm happy and, and privileged to, to be in this fight. I love that. And honestly, um, you know, I, I think for me, um, it's the folks like me, the middle-aged white guys who, who really, we really need to step up and address this stuff. And we really need to, um, uh, you know, not be afraid of it. And we not, we need to know that it's been going on and we've been a part of that system. We've benefited from these systems and, um, and we have to step into the change. And, um, so it's super important. And I'm so, um, you know, just, thrilled to be able to hear folks like you and uh, Dr. Proctor is one of my heroes and Celeste Malone and, yeah. you know, just the, the work, uh, Charles Barrett, you know, so many amazing folks in our field who are doing great work. Um, uh, and just there, you know, so many, but, um, yeah. but, you know, it, it's Dave Schreiberg, I think is a guy yeah. who I, I really respect and follow. And, you know, I, I sort of see myself as, uh, probably his demographic, <laughs> um, you know, age-wise, and um, and and so you know, being an example, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of responsibility that we need to take on um, to uh, support, elevate, and and try to um, step up as well. So I appreciate hearing this, and um, you know, as much as it, you know, it could be tension. You know, some of those conversations can be tension-filled. Um, it's important for us to to talk about it and and um, folks who look like me to step up and um, and do more. So and not expect folks like you to carry the mantle and, you know, tell me what to do sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are on APA's apology and and, you know, how. Just your thoughts in general. I know that some people have said and organizations have said, we don't accept your apology because of this, this and this. And and how you think that organizations like APA, um, you have any thoughts on where that should go? (laughs) Yeah, I remember like when the pandemic first started right around that time, there was this movement of people turning their Instagram and social medias to black squares. And if you can't see me, I'm doing like air quotes in, in solidarity and to send a message. And then, you know, a short time later was the, the death of George Floyd. And, you know, then January 6th, the, the insurrection at the Capitol. And it's like, okay, like we don't care about black lives again. <laughs> like we don't care about that. It's like, but 
all these associations and organizations and major league sports teams came out and had all the black squares and it was all the solidarity. But now we don't want to teach history in school or social emotional learning is the devil and like we can't have equity in schools and let's pass some laws where we uh, can't say certain things. It's like, but you just changed your square like a few months ago and it was all solidarity and love. So I feel like it's, it's fake love as, as some of the, the young kids would say. Um, and I say that because it's easy to do something when it's trendy. It's challenging to do something when you're met with opposition and it's unpopular. Will you stand with people when it's unpopular? Will you stand with people when no one else is standing with them? And that's a real testament of a person, of a group of people, of an organization, of an institution. And APA is a long-standing institution. And whether it's 2022 or 1922, APA has very smart people who know exactly what they're doing. And for them to come out now, I'm personally not buying it. You know, I want to see actions. I want to see deeds. So you can tell me something and that's fine. But show me your actions and what you've done. Now we can really get into it. And so APA, they just, they, as Marshawn Lynch said, they, they just got to be about that action. So until I see that, you know, uh, apologies are best kept to yourself. So that's that's my two cents on that. I'm not trying to be radical today. I don't want to be <laughs> I just want to, you know, be healing centered and, you know. Your your talk on being a disruptor <laughs> is still my favorite talk. So, <laughs> but there's healing, there's healing space there too, right? We still need to change things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, there's a lot of good comments coming in from some of our, our favorite folks, uh, Peter Faustino, John, uh, John Listino, um, Jane Wong, uh, all chiming in with with some great ideas, uh, agreement and and good thoughts. Serena, oh, very cool, very cool. Good vibes, love it, love it, love it. What's up, Jane? So, um, tell us a little bit about your book, and and you mentioned earlier when you started out. Um, talking about strengths-based approaches. And I, I think um, that might be a term that some of us have heard, but maybe not always focused on. I, I sort of think about it in terms of assessment, um, you know, as opposed to deficit-based assessment where the child is not meeting the standards um, versus here are the strengths and things that your child brings to the table. But I often haven't thought about it in different contexts or a, a broader context. Yeah, absolutely. So, I am fortunate to have signed a book deal. Now, I just have to give this context, y'all. So one of the reasons I created a podcast is because, one, I randomly don't like the sound of my voice. Well, I'm kind of over that now. Like, I, it's okay. I, 
there's others, right? But when you hear the sound of your voice, it's like, do I sound like that? Now I have an identical twin. So this is strange, but I'm used to seeing my twin's face, especially when we were younger, because I see his face all the time. And so it's like, oh, like, that's what I look like. But not really, because, like, I have my own face. And hearing his voice is like, oh, his voice is in my head. It's some twin things. Y'all won't understand. Y'all don't have twins. But that's like, so when I hear my voice, I'm like, oh, man, that's my twin brother. I sound like my twin. But in my head, like, I don't have my own voice, but I really sound like a twin. Um, So I never wanted to do a podcast because of those things, right? But then it was like, oh, I can do a podcast because it's easier than writing a book. And I have never been a good writer. In fact, true story. And I'm going to have uh, Dr. Tim Runge, uh, my one of my professors from IUP, where I got my doctorate. Um, he's going to be on my podcast. But when I was in, in graduate school, um, I was doing well. Like one, I've always been like, a middle of the road student, just lackluster for no reason. Like I've always been like pretty intelligent. I've been an athlete. And so in high school, like I never took a book to class. I would just show up and like, it was super easy for me. When I got to college, same thing, never took a book, just out having a good time. I breezed through it. When I got to graduate school, I went to my master's program first, breezed through it. It was super easy. I, it was, I enjoyed it. It was fun. But then when I got to my doc program, I thought I could do the same thing. And I had to write a paper. It was two parts. I had to write a paper. I had to give a presentation. And I got up there and I finessed it. And it was amazing. It was on the strength-based approach. And I can talk about things any day. And I got up there, got a standing ovation. Babies were crying. It was amazing. It was the talk of the century. It was life-changing. And then the paper was horrible. And I got it back. And (laughs) have y'all ever got a paper back? And before you get it, you know, you failed. This is how I knew I failed. I saw the back of the paper. First, he turned it over. And I was like, all right, that's not a good sign. (laughs) If you're turning the paper over on the back. Y'all, for those of you who don't know, if you turn the paper over on the back, you either like that's for confidentiality or you don't want to embarrass this person in front of everybody else. i bomb this paper. The other reason why I knew I failed it even before I saw it, you could see the red through the paper. It was that terrible. And so I turned it over and like I failed this paper. And at that point, I was going to A's on everything. And I saw the paper and I failed it. And about midway through the paper, he was like, you know, I'm just going to stop giving feedback because at this point, you just completely missed the mark. No. Oh, shoot. Ouch. And it was like, you just missed the mark on this paper. And I afterwards, like I I, I had to sit with that for a little while. Um, it was it was a thanks. Babe. My daughter just brought me some water. Um, I had to sit with that because that that was I had went through, you know, I had went for a while just getting straight A's and then failed. But I had to wrestle with like, okay, I had caught up. My writing just wasn't where it needed to be. And I went to his office and he was like, look, you know, you're you're a great speaker. You're talented. You, you're good there. But your writing isn't matching up to that. And to be a, a doc student, like you, you're going to have to do a whole lot. And he said, you, you got to go to the writing lab. Like it was, it was just one of those 
brutally honest questions to where I am thankful I had that. Because if I didn't have that conversation, I would just be skating my way through life. And that was a healing sense of conversation if I ever had one. Um, but he, he helped me. And so I, I actually asked him uh, if he would be part of my dissertation um, committee because I, I needed someone to push me. I didn't need someone who who was going to you know, be a, a, a fake friend or, you know, tell me like, hey, this is great when it's like really not good. And so he he helped me in that sense. Um, and so even going through the dissertation process, I dreaded it. Like I just wasn't a good writer like at all. And like my chair, shout out to Dr. McGowan, uh, Dr. Rangi, like they helped me. They was like, look, dude, like, we love you, like you're a good person, but your writing is just trash. Like, you gotta go to the writing lab. And like, it, this is how bad it was, y'all. They said, okay, when you write a sentence, you have to have an idea of what you're gonna say when you start. And so I have a thesis sentence, like when you start. And I was like, really? Like, that's a great idea. I, I didn't know. And so I started writing thesis sentences when I would start and I had context for the entire paragraph. And then this is so random. I started drinking a glass of wine whenever I was writing and it helped block out the inhibitions. This is completely random. I'm just telling y'all everything, but I tell y'all that for a reason. I never considered myself to be a writer ever. And so now the fact that I have an opportunity to write a book. This book isn't for me. This book is for all the kids from PG County who grew up in the same situation, who are naturally intelligent, who are gifted, but who never had an opportunity to be considered a good writer or who might be the next, I don't know, insert a really good writer. Um, <laughs> like you could be that person. And so I went to write a book for them. And so I was approached. That was like a super long story, but I feel like it, it made sense. And I just wanted to share that with you all. Yes, Peter, let's let's get a, a glass of wine. Peter, you had a birthday too, right? Happy uh, happy belated birthday. Um, we could uh, get a glass of wine and, and write something. <laughs> um, but no, like that really did help me. Like it legit. That's how, if you read my chapter five right now, I wrote chapter four and chapter five glass of wine every night and it just removed all inhibitions and I was like this typing it was amazing but anyways I I was able I was approached uh by this publishing company um they uh published a, a pretty big book in the education space hacking school discipline um so the times 10 pub uh publications and so um they reached out to me they say hey we we have an idea for a book um, we love for you to to be a part of the team. And I turned them down and I was like, no, I'm not a good writer. I don't want to do that. And then it was the idea of, you know, bringing on uh, a co-writer, uh, having a co-author and, you know, thinking back on, on some of those healing centered conversations I, I had, I wanted, wanted to elevate uh, the work and the voice of, you know, a, a young black um, researcher, Dr. Kelsey Reed, who is brilliant, simply brilliant, um, and uh, bringing her along and giving her an opportunity uh, to highlight the work that she's doing. 
And so she's going to co-author the book with me. And we're writing this book on deficit thinking um, and really tapping into to my work around this strength-based approach, this strength-based way uh, of thinking and approaching the work, approaching the world, um, and why deficit thinking is detrimental um, to our students and to us as people as well. And Kelsey, uh, her dissertation centered a lot around deficit thinking and how it uh, harms students and leads to to discipline referrals and higher discipline rates and disproportionality and, and things of that nature. So it's it's a very important topic. Um, we think that it can uh, <clears throat> it can do a lot of good. And the cool thing that we're doing about it is we're getting perspectives of educators, uh, teachers, school leaders, psychologists, counselors, social workers, uh, to get their perspective on what deficit thinking is, how it shows up in schools, and direct strategies that we can use to combat deficit thinking and shift from what's wrong to what's strong. I love that. I can't wait. Uh, do you have a tentative release date or any any publication information? So stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's going to be coming soon. So we have a, a timetable where we're going to submit our first draft sometime in the spring uh, with the anticipated release date in the fall. So stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I'll, and, I'll, go ahead. Uh, just quickly, one cool thing that we are doing so that we can get feedback from as many uh, educators as possible, we're actually going to blend uh, the Healing Center Conversations podcast with the book. And so to get the perspective and feedback uh, from uh, all the educators, uh, we're going to conduct a series of interviews. And uh, after we conduct, well, while we conduct the interviews, it's going to serve as uh, some podcast episodes as well. So once we release the book, we'll release some uh, a special series uh, on these these uh, interviews, which I know are going to be exciting. Oh, that's really cool. I love that blending kind of the two together. I'm also I'm looking at some comments on the side and wanted to to highlight some things. Um, you know, there were some good quotes going on. Um, there was comments on um, you know ELL. Um, students and whatnot. And, and in talking about when you're mentioning, you know, the feedback that you got on your writing, that made me, you know, you were given explicit instruction um, by your professors and whatnot. Yeah. Said, you know, you do a, you do a, a thesis, a topic sentence, and this is how you break it down. And so that I was like, explicit instruction, like, <laughs> that's just all you needed. And then, um, yeah, it, it made sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think a lot of times people look at certain people in the field, this is the school psych podcast. So let's talk about school psychology. They look at people like, oh, they have it all together. Like they're icons. And I looked at people like that in the field too. And I am recognizing that some people might look at me and my voice and my platform like that. And I want people to know that I am not perfect. And I am just the most regular smuggler student there probably ever was. I can just talk really. I know my strengths. That's why I talk about the strength-based approach. I know that if you say, hey, we have a presentation tomorrow at 8 a.m. on this topic, will you be ready? 
I will not have the paper ready. I might not have the notes ready, but I can get up there and I can deliver the presentation of a lifetime. I know that. That's my strengths. Um, so it's important that as students, as early career practitioners, just as people in general, that we know and understand our strengths and how to really tap into them and maximize them. And also, like, even I, I share the story of Dr. Runke and how he helped me in my writing. Like, I, it was it was bad, y'all. And even, even before that, when I first went to, to Hampton, um, I went to Hampton University, which is a HBCU, a historically black college and university. When I went to Hampton, I had a similar experience. Uh, me and my twin, matter of fact, um, once we actually got there, we took uh, the intro uh, to English Lit, whatever that intro uh, prerequisite to English class is. And Dr. Foster, he was our teacher. And me and my twin, we were just there partying, having a good time, enjoying the college experience at a historically Black college and university. It was amazing. Um, but we weren't focused on school like at all. And so we turned in some papers. And Dr. Foster, the English professor, like pulled me and my twin, was like, what are y'all doing? And was like, what you mean? We turned the paper in, we're having a good time. What's the problem? It was like, this writing isn't what's expected at the college level. And he made us go to the writing lab there. So I've historically like not been a good writer. And my twin will tell you, like, this is true. But Dr. Foster, he nurtured us. And that, that experience at HBCU was so necessary for us because we had professors and big brothers and big sisters who really helped us and who told us, look, you, you're here for uh, education. Like, you're, you're going to flunk out, which we almost did. Like, my brother was on academic probation. Like, I had to go to summer school, y'all. And so, I like, I just really didn't have a strong grasp on like the opportunity that was before me. And so like Dr. Foster, he really was pivotal in, in helping me to, you know, start to, to shift things around. Um, and even at that moment, like I, I was able to turn things around and, you know, I, I got my grades up. Like I, my grades were really, really poor. Uh, I had to go to summer school, me and my twin, and we did what we needed to do. And we got back on track. Um, all the way to the extent to where our grades were, were decent. But by the time senior year came, I was in such a hole. Like my GPA just wasn't that high um, to where I had to apply to, to uh, master's programs. I just didn't have the, the grades, the GPA, or the, the, the test scores, the standardized test scores um, to make it into a doc program, like fresh out of undergrad. And so like I... I just had to to put in the work. Um, and that's why I ended up going to, to uh, Abilene Christian first uh, from, you know, for, for graduate school. Like I, I just wasn't a, a good student and I, I had to, to really work at it. Um, but Dr. Foster was pivotal uh, in my life to helping me turn things around. And then once I got to, to IUP, um, you know, uh, Dr. Rungi <clears throat> was pivotal in my life as well. So I just shared that to say, you know, for, for anyone who, who might be listening, you know, you don't always have to be the, the smartest person or the most intelligent. Sometimes it just goes to, to the people who are willing to, to put the work in, 
who are willing to be relentless in setting goals and, and pursuing, you know, whatever you've committed yourself to. And, you know, that's something that I, I've always just been a, a hard worker. So I'm just, I look, this is a healing sense of conversation for me with y'all. Y'all aren't even asking me these questions. I'm just pouring my soul out to y'all, you know, just telling y'all the real. Because people might look at me and be like, hey, like this guy has everything together. Like he has a book deal. Like, no, like I never would have thought I'd ever have a book deal. Like I hate writing. <laughs> even to this day, I'm like, all right, like. I gotta actually go and write this book now. <laughs> Peter, we're gonna have to get some some wine, man, so I could so I could write this book. So that's amazing. And I, I actually think it makes you even more of a rock star in everyone's eyes. It's just a, your your story and your passion and your work ethic is just beautiful. And we're we're just so excited that you share your time with us so that you're here tonight. It's beautiful. Absolutely. We, we have promised to come back on the podcast when the book is done. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm gonna have to get a, a copies for for each of you, and and maybe even have a, a special giveaway or something. That would be awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna last kind of call for for questions and comments and whatnot, but um, I think that people are are real <laughs> excited. Um, Dr. Fascino's excited for drinks with you at some point yeah. when the pandemic's over, maybe. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, Boston, right? Nas, anyone going to Boston? I am not. I, I'm still uh, phobic of, of pandemic yeah, things, so I'm not quite it. there yet. But um, yeah, if anybody else is in the comments, I'd just like to hear. So are you going then? I'm assuming you're going. So as of now, that's the plan. I am giving a featured session or a documented session, whatever, whichever one is called. So um, I'll be doing that. I think it's February 17th, I think. Um Serena says I'm signed up for the virtual NAS. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, as of now, if anything changes, um, you know we'll we'll see. But my plan is is to be there. So, I, I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But I'm still up in the air with the the pandemic, so I'm yeah. a little little nervous. Yeah. Same. Same. So. I, I got to see if my wife is really gonna gonna let me go. I don't, I don't think she's too happy about it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see what what Nash uh, says, but we'll we'll see. So. Yeah, you totally have to get the spousal approval anytime my husband's out of the house for, for something. I'm like, where are you going? Who are you going with? Are you wearing your mask? Yep. <laughs> don't bring anything home. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, but no, thank you all for you know always. And, you know, being welcome to, to me and, and the work that I'm doing. Um, like I said, yeah, y'all might not remember. Eric, you might remember. Our, our, we were literally, this was in, was it Baltimore? I think it was Baltimore. And I think it was uh, like the Leadership Awards. You all like rounded the corner. And I'm like, whoa, that's a school psych podcasting. And you all see me. And I'm like starstruck. So, you know, I'm. I'm blessed to to be here speaking with you all. So thank you. You crack me up. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
Like it was slow motion. Of, I wow. do remember. And I remember like, like looking at you going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I know I you. Like, I was a, a fan way back then. Oh, thank you, know, you. I was geeking out. So that's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor yeah. to have you on. We always love having you on and you totally have just an open invitation. We talked about, you know, after after we have a podcast with you, we always get so excited. We're like, when can we get him on? We all conspire to, to rope you into another date. So I know for sure when the book is done, you have to come on, if not before that. So um, I want to remind everybody our next episode, it looks like it's 2-6 and we're going to be talking about um, the science of math and math instruction from um, some of the folks that have launched the uh, Science of Math website and are trying to kind of spread some of that information out there. But um, yeah, any other last thoughts from anybody? Eric, Rebecca, Dr. McClure? A huge thank you to Dr. McClure and to our audience who's just wonderful, great thoughts and uh, great conversation. Yes, loving the comments. Thank you all for chiming in and joining us tonight and we look forward to hearing your thoughts over time we hope that this conversation gives you some inspiration for the rest of january we're getting there um spring will will spring <laughs> eventually and hopefully things will improve but we really uh want to say a big thank you out to our audience as well thanks for always being here with us and um, encouraging us. Have a good night, everybody. Take care, everyone.